a bed is, you know, we can make beds, but what we can't make is specialised staff to run those beds. So the accident emergency department, A is a very specific skill set. And, and once you run out of their capacity, you don't really have anywhere to turn. Uh, and the winter is going to be tough. I think that nobody's envisaging anything other than a really difficult winter. Uh, and how difficult that is, I think we don't know, but it's going to be difficult. If you hear people from intensive care essentially telling you things are tough, that's a really important canary down the mine because these people are the SES of, of clinical staff. And if they're telling you it's tough, you should be listening. My unit is about a third full of COVID. We have spilled out into our high dependency area and we are ventilating patients in the high dependency area. to Pod Academy. My name is Rachel Jolly. I'm a journalist and podcast producer. In this episode, we look at the challenges for the National Health Service as it faces COVID in winter 2021. With Welsh hospitals reporting some of the longest waiting times ever, and the Scottish Government calling in the army to help drive ambulances, are we as prepared as we can be for the winter ahead? And what does it feel like inside one of the UK's most famous hospitals right now? In September, Prime Minister Boris Johnson said further restrictions could be put in place if the NHS is threatened this winter. By the end of the month, COVID hospitalisations were already at a high level. So what does it feel like inside a hospital right now? To find out more and see how different this winter might be from the last one, I spoke with two doctors who work at Addenbrooke's Hospital in Cambridge. We talked about how they'd coped so far and how they were preparing for this winter and what their biggest worries were. I spoke with Mark Toshner, an academic at Cambridge University, who is also a pulmonary physician, a specialist in illnesses relating to the lungs at Addenbrooke's. While Mark doesn't normally work in intensive care, last year he was called in to help out during the worst of the emergency. And Pod Academy also heard from Andrew Conway Morris, a clinical scientist at Cambridge University and a consultant working in intensive care at Addenbrooke's. First, we heard from Mark Toshner. And Mark, if I were the Secretary of State for Health, what would you be asking me to do right now? The first thing I would be asking is for a really honest acknowledgement that we're in a difficult place and that we have just under, I think we might even talk to 8,000 people in hospital now and we've had that for weeks now between about seven and eight thousand and that this was supposed to be our period of rest our quiet time during the summer in actual fact we've seen we've seen almost kind of historic highs of of, of healthcare utilization that's a really tough start to then go into a winter for and, and so we're in a really vulnerable position and andy what is it like in intensive care right now my unit is about a third full of COVID. we have spilled out into our high dependency area and we are ventilating patients in the high dependency area. I've got plenty of colleagues who've essentially just been at the coalface now for for the better part of a year and a half or longer and and you can see the toll it's taken on some of them and and it is a pretty heavy toll and so the winter is going to be tough. I think that nobody's envisaging anything other than a really difficult winter Uh, and how difficult that is I think we don't know but it's going to be difficult. 
we start off with one of the lower ratios of doctors to population anyway. One of the uh, lowest, isn't it? Yeah, one of the lowest in the U in, 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 in Europe. In Europe. I think we're second or third or something like that, depending on how you measure it. Mark, you spent some time working in intensive care last year in the middle of one of the busiest periods. What was that like? I'm not an intensive care doctor for a very simple reason. I couldn't hack it as an intensive care doctor. It's just one of the hardest jobs in the hospital because on a daily basis, you're dealing with patients at the edge of life and death. And so you need to be a really unique and special and resilient type of person to be able to cope with that day after day after day. And, and I'm probably not it and have the self-knowledge about that. So when I worked in intensive care for a couple of months last year, it was really tough, you know, even for a couple of months. There were nights where I was just completely sleepless after the day's events. And, and even just the physical being in the PPE the whole time, the, the the stress of the whole environment. It takes just a, a quite profound toll on you. If you hear people from intensive care essentially telling you things are tough, that's a really that's a really important canary down the mine because these people are the SES of clinical staff. And if they're telling you it's tough, you know, you should be listening. Andy, what would you say are the lessons you've learned from last winter and COVID? It's been challenging, and I think that's probably fairly obvious to, to everybody that uh, intensive care has been on the front line of, of COVID. We have seen unprecedented numbers of patients coming to us to the extent, if I give the example from my own hospital, you know, we started with 40 intensive care beds. And at the peak of the second wave, which is the worst it's got so far, and hopefully won't get that bad again we were up to around 120 beds so you know a tripling of our capacity and of course it goes without saying that we didn't have a tripling in capacity of intensive care consultants intensive care nurses pharmacists physiotherapists and all the other specialists who we, who we rely on in intensive care and when it first came we thought this is like Ebola, you know, super, super dangerous and highly, highly transmissible. And, and there's almost no protection against it. And as time's gone on, we've, we've learned that actually that isn't so much the case in taking appropriate precautions. And as long as those people who are coming into hospital are at least aware of the risks that they're taking and so forth. And clearly yeah. with people being vaccinated, it, it changes things. I would say that the, the biggest things that I think are going to help us this winter and why I genuinely think that this winter will not be as bad as last winter is that we have the vaccines and that is absolutely critical in my mind that has made a bigger difference than, than pretty much anything else that we've done. We also have effective treatments that we didn't have previously. We understand what we're dealing with uh, much better and we have better stockpiles of kit to both of you, what are your fears for the winter ahead? There's going to be COVID over the winter. Then there's going to be the usual winter viruses. And of course, we've got this massive backlog of work, which, you know, does need to be done. My guess is that we'll always manage to stay open and that, 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 that we'll find a way. And then it's about how many beds you have downstream in the hospital. And again, we're in exactly the same position with that where we, we have limited capacity. On that front, it's a mixture of physical capacity and, and the staff. So the physical capacity does become important then because if, if you don't have a bed to admit a patient to, it's very hard to admit them. Uh, and so then that has a knock-on effect on the scheduled work. So all the, all the routine or non-urgent stuff can get basically stopped 
there's no extra people out there who you can go, oh, well, I'll just ring them up and they can come in. And that's right. And, it, and it's not just doctors and nurses, incidentally. The hospital has a whole ecosystem of support staff and they're all just as important. So, you know, to pick an example, you can't run a radiology department without radiographers. So if you, you have a limitation of radiographers, you might not be able to process all the patients that need scans. You may have lots of machines sitting empty. So the, the, the really important thing about intensive care is that it has a really unique mixture of both routine and emergency work. And, and everything is kind of downwind of that. And, and so if you're having your cancer operation and, and you need an intensive or high dependency bed, if you're having an aorta uh, repaired, or if you're having a valve done, or if you're having a coronary artery bypass graft and you need uh, a high level of care in the immediate post-operative period, if, if, they, if the hospital's just full of COVID patients, all that stuff has to be stopped. But there aren't very many of us who don't know somebody who goes to hospital or who needs hospital care or who has an operation coming up. So actually, this is us. I think the, the phrase that really wound most of the, the, the clinical staff up during the wave one and two was this idea of protect the NHS, because it made it sound like the NHS was a thing that we were protecting. But actually, it's the other way around. The NHS protects you from illness and from disease and from, from all manner of things. The staff are tired. I do worry especially about those who were redeployed in the first two waves. I think the psychological toll that it took on them was probably greater to some extent than it did on, on many of us who'd chosen to work in an ICU in the first place. And I wonder how willing they will be to come back I wonder how willing my colleagues will be to step up again and take on supervisory roles and so forth. I, I don't know. I mean, you know, they're all professionals and watching everyone pull together was one of the highlights of the whole experience. You know, that there was a sense of camaraderie, a sense of that we were in it together and we were all going to try and do our best. But I, I think we mustn't close our eyes to the the casualties of that. And final words from both of you. People are just cracking on as if none of this was happening and that the pandemic was over. And the pandemic isn't over. So, so if, if I had any influence at all, I'd be trying to change the messaging and I'd be making it clear that additional steps may be needed. I think the only thing that is likely to make a major difference to our winter would be a willingness to reimpose restrictions on people's freedoms rapidly and in time and not dither when it's needed. So pay close, close attention to the data and be prepared to take unpopular decisions because the alternative is a really, really, really unpleasant winter in the health service. But actually it's not us that's gonna have the really unpleasant times, the patients. 